Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. For me and for many other people with disabilities, our status as disabled people is one of which we are fiercely proud, Stella Young. And welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today we have an interview with... Dr. Shelley Tremaine about disability. But first of all, let's hear some words of wisdom from Stella Young. I really don't like this concept of teaching people to see the person and not the disability. Then why can't people see a person with a disability and not freak out or not feel uncomfortable? You know, it's like that weird backhanded compliment that we get when people say, you know, oh, I don't think of you as disabled because you're my friend or you're really cool or because you're just like me. And can we not be all of those things? Can we not be cool and likeable and people's friends but not also be proud of our disabilities? I kind of hope that we can. I really don't like this concept of teaching people to see the person and not the disability. Then why can't people see a person with a disability and not freak out or not feel uncomfortable? You know, it's like that weird backhanded compliment that we get when people say, you know, oh, I don't think of you as disabled because you're my friend or you're really cool or because you're just like me. And can we not be all of those things? Can we not be cool and likeable and people's friends but not also be proud of our disabilities? I kind of hope that we can. And I'm speaking to Dr Shelley Tremaine about the philosophy of disability. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for inviting me. Could you give us a definition of feminist philosophy of disability? Well, feminist philosophy of disability is a term that I actually um, introduced. And uh, feminist philosophy of disability is a composite of, well, it's a, a, a subfield, a new subfield, emerging subfield of philosophy, the discipline of philosophy. And uh, it's a composite of feminist philosophy, philosophy of disability, disability studies. And it uses the feminist philosophy is done by feminist philosophers who are also work on disability. And so what we do is we use the tools uh, that we've gained from philosophical training, our philosophical training, combine those with our political analysis of power and oppression, the uh, situation of disabled people in society, etc. Right, so what was it that inspired you to study feminist philosophy of disability? Well, I'm uh, a feminist and I'm also disabled and I'm also a philosopher, so trained as a philosopher, so all of those things came together. 
and I I studied philosophy, and uh, it, it was very frustrating because the discipline of philosophy quite ableist, and the profession of philosophy excludes disabled philosophers uh, in ways that, like, it, dis- it excludes uh, women philosophers and philosophers of color. And so I studied, I wanted to study philosophy, and I wanted to, disability, and I wanted to study it with rigor. There is a field, as you probably know, burgeoning field called disability studies that has emerged over the past two decades in the in the academy. But many of us uh, who are trained in philosophy find that disability studies often does not have the rigor and does not use the conceptual tools that those of us in, who ha- have been trained in philosophy want to use. So so that's basically why I um, I actually introduced the term philosophy of disability as well quite some you know quite a number of years ago. So so it's a rigorous analysis, conceptual analysis, epistemological analysis, metaphysical analysis of disability. Right. So could you explain about the term feminist philosophy? Feminist philosophy. Well, feminist philosophy has been around for. Probably since, well, I guess you could say since at least Simone de Beauvoir in the 1950s, feminist philosophy initially looked at the uh, situation of women in society and how their social situation was uh, conditioned by power relations that subordinated them to to men. And then over time, uh, over over the past few decades especially, past couple of decades especially, feminist philosophy has been repeatedly challenged by a, a number of constituencies of women and black women, uh, lesbians, disabled women, because it has, it has advanced, primarily advanced the situation and the interests of non-disabled white middle-class women and so in the past, over the past decade or two, feminist philosophy has become increasingly heterogeneous and has recognized the need to develop an intersectional approach to power relations. So it no longer looks just exclusively at the situation of women, but looks at particular groups of women, how their oppressions are conditioned by other oppressions besides gender oppression and recognizes that different groups of women will have commonalities with men, with with transgender people that they don't have uh, with other women, etc. Now, when I read the employment section for philosophy lecturers, it states that you must be able to stand in front of your class and present a lecture. Now, this is fairly clear discrimination against people with disabilities and who are not able to stand for any length of time. Is this discrimination fairly common when it comes to disabled philosophers? Well, actually, there's, there were a number of job postings made over the past, I would say, the past eight months 
that were discriminatory in just the way that you've described. They were job postings that appeared on the uh, job page of American Philosophical Association, Phil Jobs, and they indicated the job, the criteria for the jobs indicated things like um, must be able to do fine motor skills with, with hand, ma- manual motor skills, things like this that were clearly discriminatory, as you say. So I and others have tried to be vigilant about catching such such job ads and having them taken down from the site. But of course, besides just the formal job postings, of course, there are implicit biases and unconscious biases that run throughout the hiring practices that um, do this sort of discriminatory discriminatory exclusion of disabled philosophers on the basis of not performing in the way that non-disabled philosophers do in in a variety of ways. You have a Dialogues on Disability series online. Could you tell us a a bit about this? Yes. Thank you for asking this question. Dialogues on Disability is a series of interviews that I'm conducting with disabled philosophers and post to the Discrimination and Disadvantage blog on the third Wednesday of each month. The series is designed to provide a public venue for discussion with disabled philosophers about a range of topics, including their philosophical work on disability, the place of philosophy of disability vis-a-vis the discipline and profession, their experiences of institutional discrimination and personal prejudice in philosophy in particular and in academia in general, resistance to ableism, accessibility, and anti-oppressive pedagogy. I've been running the series since uh, April 15th of 2015, so I'm just going to be uh, posting the 18th installment of the series on the blog on the 21st of this month. So it's and it's become it's quite a popular series. It's quite well known, and it has really increased the visibility of disabled philosophers in the profession. It has people are are professional philosophers are more and more talking about ableism and accessibility and the the philosophers, the disabled philosophers whom I've interviewed thus far comprise a very diverse group. So it's 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 been a very rewarding experience for me and it's it's also it's bringing together it, it's 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 helping to form a community of disabled philosophers in the profession. Could you discuss why feminist philosophers of disability should resist attempts by some feminists, non-feminist and philosophers to redefine and categorise disability as disability bioethics, feminist bioethics, or simply bioethics? Oh well, that's that's a different. Um, okay, the so what you're asking me is why we should why feminist philosophers of disability should resist the urge to describe philosophy of disability as 
disability bioethics or um, feminist bioethics or just plain bioethics, right? Yes. Um, well, that is because, well, first of all, depending on, depending on how one defines disability, the term disability bioethics is incoherent. If you define disability as I do, as a, an apparatus of power rather than a personal characteristic, then it doesn't make any sense to talk about disability bioethics because it would be like it would be like saying, you know, uh, racism bioethics or um, sexism bioethics. And so the term I think is incoherent. And also, I more generally with respect to all three of those types of bioethics, bioethics, in in my view and in the view of, of uh, others. Bioethics is actually an instrument that is part of the apparatus of disability, part of, it's, an, it's a mechanism of eugenics. I, I, I you know, I, it's, it's a mechanism of eugenics, and although, that, although there are bioethicists who are working for the working to improve the situation of disabled people the the institution of bioethics itself is inherently ableist could you describe how feminist philosophers have changed the history of philosophy and definitions of disability how feminist philosophers have changed the history of philosophy. Well, for one thing, they um, feminist philosophers are have questioned many of the assumptions about truth, knowledge, goodness, justice, etc., and have redefined them. And feminist philosophers have also worked to show that women have there have been women throughout the history of. Of Western philosophy that have been ignored, and um, their work has been has not been has not been taught, has been discounted. Quite often, they've, in some cases, they have their work has been attributed to men, and so that's those are ways that feminists are are changed have changed the way uh, history of philosophy is understood. There was another part to the question. Besides history of philosophy, could you could you give an example of any feminist philosophers that have just been ignored and haven't had their work studied? Well, for instance, Mary Wollstonecraft, who had who wrote the Vindication on the Rights of Women. Her work is in the 18th century. Her work is, has has not been given the the attention that it's due. And I mean, even even today. Women, women philosophers are, you know, really are are struggling to get their work recognized uh, on the same level as male philosophers. The hiring rates in philosophy departments, you know, mirror that. The only, only in the United States, that only twenty percent of the full time faculty in Philosophy departments are women in in the, in Canada. It, it's better. It's you know maybe a thirty five percent in in Australia. It, in two thousand and seven, when 
the Australasian um, Association of Philosophy did a report, survey and report, it noted that there were about 23% of the members of uh, faculties, departments there, uh, departments of philosophy there were were women. So uh, it's uh, it's across the board that women are really um, are still struggling to be recognized in philosophy. And I mean, uh, uh, you know, that's and when I say women, I I mean primarily, you know, non-disabled white women because the I mean the there are only yeah you know about two percent two percent of the faculty in in philosophy departments are um are are black philosophers and only about well between one and four percent are are disabled philosophers so the history of philosophy has been written what ha- has been recognized as the history of philosophy has been written by non disabled white men. Yeah, I've even spoken to women who studied philosophy 20 years ago and they've said that they didn't study any women philosophers at all. But uh, right. when, when I studied a few years back, I, I was fortunate to have a, a feminist lecturer and we, we studied probably more than 50% women which was really good, but do you, do you think that... And unusual. Yeah, it is unusual. Do you, do you think things have, have changed very much? I know they've got a long way to go. They, things, things, are, things are getting better. Yes, they are in a number, a number of dimensions, not just with respect to, to women, but also with respect to... There's, a lot, there's increasing attention to philosophy of race, just today, I actually saw a job posted for the area of competence for a job uh, in philosophy was philosophy of disability. I've never seen that before. So things are getting better, but very slowly and certainly not at the pace they should. There, there's, a lot, there's a lot of resistance to change, but then there are also very promising as I say, very promising events taking place. So, Do you have any future study plans within the field of feminist philosophy of disability? Well, I just, I just sub- completed my manuscript, Foucault and Feminist Philosophy of Disability, and submitted that to University of Michigan, my editor at University of Michigan Press, I guess about two weeks ago, and hopefully that will be out in the well. It will be out next year, hopefully, or in the early early part of the year, the spring maybe. And I will just keep, you know, just keep doing. <laughs> there always seems to be some project that needs to be worked on. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you, your online blogs have reached a lot of people, haven't they? Yes, and I mean, uh, yeah, I, I will be. Um, I will continue to do the dialogues and disability series. I, I, I'm also a, a co-coordinator of that blog, so I blog there fairly regularly. I usually post a couple times a week at least, and then the um, the interviews get posted once a month. So there's a lot of a lot of different things happening. Well, thanks very much for coming onto the program today. 
Well, thanks very much for having me, Beth. It was uh, it was delightful.